it, I just want an easy way out. I just, please just, Lord, give me a little extra today. And it's like, he's perfectly revealed himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, everything that's revealed in this Word was also revealed in the person and work of Christ, and it says that as we look at Christ, we see the Father. And so He has revealed Himself, and it's sufficient. think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. In the studio today, uh, of a very regular and um, highly anticipated guest. Mm, I don't know about that. Well, I highly anticipate oh, okay, gotcha. it. So I don't know about anybody else, gotcha. but I'm excited. Awesome. I always love it having Parker Smith from Yee or I could lean back and do the real one, but I've got to come up with my own style. You've got your style. Granger has his. I think we all have our own kind of yee call and i haven't i haven't really explored mine yet yeah but anyway welcome back how are you i'm great okay so um this is the the last episode that you're gonna be this guy okay so uh here we are episode 34 the next time you're on this podcast you will no longer be America's most eligible bachelor. Mm. Okay. Oh man. So whatever insight, whatever we have here, next time you come to this podcast, it's gonna you're gonna be seeing life through different lenses. Yeah. What's gonna As happen? As a husband. To me? What's it like on the other side? Man, I don't even remember. I think I saw colors that I didn't know existed. I think there were there was just new understanding. I'm excited to see what kind of insight the Lord gives you post. So here we are. This is the last um, opportunity for us to experience Parker in this this phase. Yeah, I guess so. How are you feeling about everything? I'm feeling uh, strange. It's just a weird time. It's a weird time leading up to uh, a wedding and... Um, not living together, right. which is a little bit weird for the world. Not being physical together, which is weird for the world. Uh, and being in a state where you're very emotionally and spiritually close to someone. Um, but then at 8.45, you say, cool, see you later. And then she drives 30 minutes back home. So it's really, right. it's a really weird in between stage. We're ready to, um, we're ready to live together, ready to be together. And um, it's exciting though, because John Piper talks about seeing the superior pleasure mm. of it and just knowing that God's way is so much better and it's going to be so much sweeter on the other side. <laughs> I throw so many quotes in and like double the quotes, but C.S. Lewis also says that. <laughs> A well-read man here. C.S. Lewis also <clears throat> says that the the fruit on the other side of the fence tastes so much sweeter when you use the gate 
than when you hop over it in the middle of the night when you're yeah, not really supposed to. It may be a good, good adrenaline rush in the middle of the night, but man, God put the gate there and, and he knows which way is better. So it's going to be good. Dude, that's good. That'll preach right there. Uh, as you've navigated kind of your engagement, uh, you know, there's probably mixed feelings. Are there times in which the excitement about marriage kind of overwhelms or this thing becomes number one priority or are, is there a way that you're still doing life and it has its place, but it's just a piece of the puzzle or how do you approach marriage? How, how are you thinking about it on this side of it? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, uh, I'm thankful. Uh, personally, I know everyone has their different journey and God can use everybody in different ways for me personally. I'm, uh, thankful that in the last year I became a Christian, was able to develop and find complete and total satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ and really stopped looking for someone to complete me in a specific way. And let me just pause there. So what you're saying is prior to Christ, you may have fell, fallen into that category of person that saw marriage as the ultimate and that one of the reasons why marriage existed was so that that other person could somehow complete or fulfill or, you know, yeah, um, help you experience something. Yeah, I think whether we know it or not, society tells us that we're not complete, we're not whole mm-hmm. if we don't find that other person. It's all, I mean, my brother will tell you, my middle brother who's 38 and single will tell you that every family event, every family gathering, uh, anytime catching up with old friends, it's also just a level of small talk that you just, it's something to talk about, but it's just the thing that when are you going to find someone? When are you going to find someone? And I just think now I, I think, how can I be sensitive to that after I'm married to the people and not put pressure on them mm. to make them feel inadequate? Because man, when you're in Christ, you are, I mean, look at Paul, look at Jesus himself. And uh, it, there's just, there's a uh, there's just pros to each of them. Uh, a pastor that I like has a saying. People say, "How do I know if I've been called to singleness? How do I know if I'm supposed to say single or not?" And he says, "I have a one step question to tell if you're called to singleness. Are you currently in a relationship? If the answer is no, then you are called to singleness right mm. now, and you are called to wake up today and be obedient." Yeah. So your sensitivity is that you're you are aware that the culture can put a pressure on somebody who's single to think you're not experiencing the fullness of what you could. You're, you're missing out on a full experience of humanity or what it means to be human because you're not in that kind of relationship. And what you're saying is we've got to find our completion in Christ and be content in that wherever, if we're in relationship or not that there's a contentment that comes in Christ and fulfillment in him. And there's no second class humanity that if you're not experiencing a deep relationship with a significant other, then you're missing out. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good things become bad things when good things become ultimate. Yeah. Marriage is awesome, but marriage is not ultimate. Uh, and, and when you make that at the highest tier, then, then that's where it gets a little dangerous. Yeah. And not to, um, and this is something that you'll soon begin to experience is that it's interesting the way that God shows himself 
and be and does more conforming of an individual into the image of Christ through marriage. And it's usually not very fun. Oh yeah, I'm doomed. Like the amount of like how much you realize what a selfish pig you are when you have to start sharing not just like the sink and the toothpaste and you know, a closet and space, but now your schedule, your time, your commitments, your priorities, uh, putting her before yourself. Like, man, I there was when I got married. I found out, dude, I am a pig, and I am just so self-focused. And the Lord has done a work in me, and I'm probably one inch down the road from being selfish because I'm still realize frequently just how self-focused I am. I can't even imagine once you have kids too. Oh, and man. the temptation and then you got to these oh, little just humans. Stay, yeah. yeah that, just just get on your iPad and it's fine. Mm. And that way I'll just get a break. Or do you roll up your sleeves and disciple? Yeah, that was w- one of my um, mentors and he was a pastor when I first got married and was serving at a church where he was um, leading. He would constantly remind me when I would leave the church office and start heading home for the day, he's like, just remember, your real work is about to begin. Like you may have spent eight hours pouring into other people, listening to other people, studying the scripture, like teaching, like doing the work of ministry. But just realize when you head home, you may need to pause or sit in the driveway for a minute, take a breather and just roll up your sleeves because now it's time to go to work. Now it's time to truly serve and love the way that God equips you to and called you to. So yeah, that's good perspective. So this is uh, everybody listening. Just listen to his voice. Take a look through the, the lens of the YouTube channel or however you're taking in this podcast. And this is Parker 1.0. Because mm. <laughs> soon comes Parker 2.0. <laughs> Shout out, Amy. Uh, okay. Uh, so beyond that, I mean, there's there's some some fun catch up. Anything else the Lord's been kind of teaching you, either through His Word or through your time in the body of Christ in the in the church? Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to keep it uh, short so we don't we don't uh, push it too long. But um, Uh, okay, I'll just say it. Uh, my brother told me uh, recently that um, he said it was interesting that uh, it's interesting that um, certain people don't become Christians. Um, he's kind of this is my middle brother, and he's he's kind of just exploring uh, exploring Christianity. He's new to his faith. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out. Okay, so. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to not be a Christian? What does it mean to uh, to be reborn? What does it mean to be in cultural Christianity? What does it mean to actually follow Christ? And he said, he was talking about one of our friends and said, I don't understand why so-and-so doesn't just become a Christian. It's it's so easy. It's mm. the easiest religion. You just you just love Jesus. But this other guy is, is openly agnostic. He's like, I'm not gonna say that I follow Jesus. I don't know. No one knows for sure. And my brother was like, why doesn't he just follow Jesus? Because Christianity, everything else, you got to pray a certain number of times mm-hmm. a day. You got to go on pilgrimages. You got to wear certain stuff. Christianity, you just love Jesus. Every, mm-hmm. All glory to God. And I was just thinking about the cost 
of of Christianity. Mm. And not to say that there's amazing things that come with it, but also you were talking about the uh, how sometimes we preach the benefits of Christianity and not the gospel, not what Christ has done for us. And uh, C.S. Lewis says, "I when 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 Jesus says, be ye perfect." A lot of people get discouraged because they think that they have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But C.S. Lewis said that I think what he's saying is the only work I'm going to do on you is the kind of work that's going to make you perfect. Mm-hmm. And so he said, what I mean by that is when I was a kid and I had a toothache and it hurt, I knew if I went to my mom, I was going to have to go to the dentist and that dentist was going to see behind into the root and see the cause of the problem and it was going to be super painful Mm -hmm. to actually cause the problem and then change what i was eating that caused the toothache and then he'd pick out different teeth that don't even hurt yet that are probably going to be having problems and so he said he just wouldn't even end up telling his mom and so this idea of a lot of times people go to jesus to fix a particular sin problem when their drinking gets overboard or when their gambling gets overboard or when addiction comes comes through but uh jesus makes it very clear you got to give me everything mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to do this thing unless we're going to go all the way and so that's just interesting uh, yeah he bids us come and die yeah a living sacrifice i heard a pastor once say that that's a uh, reference to Romans 12 um, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice of worship to the Lord and the problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar <laughs> mm. <laughs> and so uh, yeah this idea that there is a sense in which there isn't a works there's not a, a work that we do that secures or earns God's favor or love or salvation and so that's true that there's the easy part it ex- it's extremely costly i talked about this on a couple episodes ago of dietrich bonhoeffer the cost of discipleship it was, it was a book he wrote to basically draw out this idea of cheap grace versus costly grace and that there was this um there can be in in streams of christianity this view that grace is cheap that means i don't have to do anything it doesn't really matter how i live and jesus paid it all and i'm good to go and i've got this blank check i can just live my life with morally and bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace because that that's a that's a way of living that minimizes what it actually cost costly grace is this idea of realizing it required the death of the son of god on your behalf to secure access back to God. And somebody who understands the, the weight of what it did, in fact, cost God, lives a life that is willing to sacrifice and to submit because you know just how much it's worth and you value it for what it is. So good stuff that you're wrestling through with, with your brother and yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, I heard a guy say, my, 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 intent, my intention was to never become a saint I just wanted to become a better person, mm-hmm. but God's just going to turn you inside out. If you go knock on that door, you'll see yeah. that he's going to call all of yeah. you. Yeah. And when he says God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, meaning he can take every situation in your life and use it perfectly to shape you into the image of a son. He won't leave anything to waste. 
He uses everything that's going on in your life, the good, the bad, what seems neutral. Everything is used by him to conform you to the image of his son. That's his game plan. And But because we live in a fallen world, most of the time that requires suffering. That's what it means to be human in this world, a world that's shaped and dripping with sin. It means that we will suffer. So anyway, so hope, what a great uplifting message. <laughs> uh, all righty. Well, you came here and I invited you here so that we could take and read. So we are making our way through the Gospel of Mark and we're, we're approaching the halfway point. So here we are, episode 34, and we still have not arrived at the halfway point. We're in Mark chapter 8, and some things that have transpired in, in, in the recent passages and verses leading up to this, uh, Jesus has just uh, fed the 4,000, so this is the second um, episode or time in which he takes and feeds a crowd of people uh, in a miraculous way. and. And does something that they call creation ex nihilo. That's uh, Latin for out of nothing. Like he takes something a very small portion and uh, expands it or spreads it so that it feeds huge thousands and thousands of people. So he's just done this, and so again he is he is demonstrating uh, and in uh, to a certain degree giving signs of his authority. All throughout the the gospel so far, he's demonstrated and shown that he teaches as one who has authority. He demonstrates the life in the kingdom of God uh, in the way that he has compassion on people and heals them. He uh, delivers them from demonic oppression. Uh, he demonstrates this authority and power over the sea and the winds and the waves. And he's walked on water. I mean, he's he's just continually showing you what life is like in the kingdom. So when he heals people and brings them to wholeness where they were once broken, whether it's been a lifelong um, you know, battle with some illness or demon oppression, he gives you this little instance of, here's what life is like in my kingdom. Under my kingship, it's, it's flourishing, it's abundance, it's good. And so you see these little touch points of his kingdom throughout the gospel. And these are all signs as to who he is and what he's like, and what he's capable of. And so we enter this, uh, actually it's just three verses. We're gonna, it's gonna be this short little snippet, and it's gonna be really fun. So we're in chapter eight, verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees came, oh, and by the way, we are reading from the English Standard Version today, the ESV, uh, so as you are following along, you may see words that differ from your translation, and that's just a good point for you to jump into and wrestle with why are those words translated differently. Um, so anyway, starting again in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Very interesting. Just walks off. Just <laughs> drops the mic and leaves. Uh, okay, so wrestling with, 
yeah, the the scene. What what does this say? Who's there? What's being said? And maybe why it's being said. Well, we want to truly understand this this text here. All right, we got Pharisees. Yeah, we got Pharisees. This is a group of um, highly trained religious uh, Jewish religious leaders that have not only training but authority. So this is an, a group with religious authority. And for Jews, in many cases, that religious authority was more immediately felt and that influence was greater than any political authority in their life. So you've got, for the, the Jewish community, religious authority has all reaching impact. It's not just part of your life. It, it, it affects every facet, the way you do business, the way that you do family, um, the, the way that you go about uh, shopping for food. Like it literally affects everything you do. So here come these authorities. And they came with the purpose to argue with him and test him. So. Yeah, so their motive was initially argumentative. Yeah. They're not there to kind of make a determination about who he is. They're not coming with a a true, honest, inquisitory kind of, okay, I I need to see this for myself and make a determination about him. It seems like they've already decided. They do not believe who he says he is, what he says he can do, and their motive is not to possibly submit, but their goal is to test and trip him up. It's it's a different uh, posture from a Nicodemus yes, who is yes. asking, asking, wanting yeah. an answer. And I think that's a good word. It's a posture. Like that's what we have to see here. There are other people that approach him with, you know, falling at his feet, begging for his help, begging for healing, begging for deliverance, begging for compassion, and that's a certain posture. But their posture is, we know best, we're upright, this guy is beneath us, we're going to test him and we're going to show this whole thing's a sham. So their posture is one of pride and arrogance, not of humility and submission. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great insight. What else do you see here? So they... Uh... It's more of a show us. Okay, well, show us. Do something. Make this turn to that. Make this turn to that. Or make this appear. It's Yeah, they're asking for a sign to test him, not a sign so that they can have faith. Yeah. Not so that they can believe in him. That's very fascinating, which is, yeah. And so he sighs. sighs. Not only does he sigh, he sighs deeply. <laughs> yeah. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Yeah, I don't even know. Mean? I mean, I've sighed audibly before when I'm tired. A sigh is usually you're ex- without words. All you could do is just you're expressing frustration. Like I just sighed there just to see what I felt. Like you're like, ah. all right, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Like, just frustration. It's a way to just kind of express humanly. Yeah. 
And so he says, why does this generation seek a sign? So he's talking about an entire generation, not just these guys. So it's something bigger than just the people in front of me. Yeah, and it could be... um Yeah, there's other times where he uses that phrase, this generation. Yeah, he does. He'll talk about this generation um, and this generation's lack of faith is is something that will come up. This generation's yeah unbelief, this generation's desiring or seeking a sign, like a reason to believe, a reason to have faith. In this case, it's a reason to test him, not necessarily to have faith. And then he says no, and then he leaves. So why do you think, why do you, I mean, this is one of the most asked questions today is if God's real, then why doesn't he just show us? Yeah. Why doesn't he just appear before me and put all the doubts to rest? That's cool that all these people were healed and stuff appeared in this book 2000 years ago, but why did it all stop? Why does, why doesn't he, he do this? anymore yeah that's a legitimate question and i think it's it's a very regular question and i can admit that in let's see i've been a believer for 25 years i can tell you multiple times i've said in the quietness of of my own heart or you know as i'm praying lord could you please please just show up right now, just real quick. I'd love to see you. And this is coming from a person who, like, I believe he exists. And I just I just want more, like just a little more closeness with him. But like I've also talked with people that do not believe in God. And they're like, I would totally believe if he could just show up now. And there's stories you hear like, well, if God exists and is real, then why doesn't he, I'm going to drop this piece of chalk and it will drop and, and he'll stop it from breaking if he's real. That'll, that'll, and then I'll believe. And they drop the chalk and it does. It's like, according to this passage, there's a, you're testing him and he has to prove his authenticity. He has to prove his existence. And then you, but you look around and it's like, is there a lack of proof around you? Consider the conditions under which we exist right now. We're told in the scriptures that the only reason why we currently draw breath is because he's decided today you can have that one more breath. Because he holds the universe together by the word of his power. There is this gravity exists. The, the All of the conditions under which our globe exists in proximity to the sun, it's not too close, it's not too far, we can have the right temperature, uh, oxygen exists, like all of these things, these conditions under which, and the, pro- the probability of that happening by chance, and yet we're going, all right, you, you've shown me all of the ways in which you clearly exist and are sovereign in my life. Yet, I'm going to need you to do just one more little thing for me. What what does that demonstrate about the heart of the person that is demanding a sign from God? Prove yourself. Like, there's that's what I think is on display here. What what Mark is trying to, to allow us to see and what, what Christ wants us to see is this tells us way more about the conditions of their heart and their motives 
that I think is on display about that generation. And because it's not a matter of whether he has an ability to perform a sign. He's been performing signs this entire gospel. He's been doing things that demonstrate his authority, his power, what he can do, who he is, what he's like. And for, for some reason, he's like, they demand a sign. Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. It's like, wait a minute, but you've been doing signs all the, all along, and he'll continue to heal people and drive out demons. So what do we make of that? He must be speaking to this generation represents a group of people that that have that posture of heart. Hmm. This particular generation of unbelievers, this group of maybe religious leaders that think they have it all figured out, not, you're not going to get a sign because it wouldn't even work. I have a, a, a friend of mine who regularly gets into conversations with people that don't believe in the Lord. And what he'll uh, he'll ask them a certain line of questioning um one of the things that he asks them is when he's like hey what do you believe about god and or the afterlife or something like that and and uh when he begins to suggest to them the truth of the bible they're like well i don't believe in god and he'll ask them what would you accept as evidence Mm. and most of the time they're like well I don't know. Uh, And sometimes, well, if he showed up right here right now, he's like, okay. Would you really though? Or would you find a way to rationalize how that was, you had some bad, you know, chili the night before and it was, or it was something else. Like you would explain away. Like the evidence isn't the problem. It's the condition of your heart that's the problem. What would you truly accept as evidence in order to believe? Would you believe anything? Or would you find a way to explain away even what is right in front of you. And uh, and so I think there's something about that that's here. The consequences are too too great if if that God exists. And, yeah. and then you realize you would have to come to a realization of the state of your own depravity. It would turn everything upside down. Right. You'd have to lose, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That would change a lot. If, I, if I, the dentist exists and I acknowledge that this cavity is here, I'm going to need some work. Yeah, like I can't go on living this way. Something's got to give and I've got to now go to see the dentist in order to deal with this. And the idea of the dentist is not one I like, so therefore I don't want to believe that it exists. Um, Yeah, it gets into the realm of uh, kind of in my experience working with people that wrestle with the truth of God and the reality of God and the truth of, of who Christ is. You basically have three categories of barriers. You've got either this intellectual category where people go, intellectually, it just doesn't make sense, or I don't find it logical, or you know, the evidence or the rationale behind this idea of God, I just have some major issues with, whether it's the idea of evolution or supernatural existence of things. Like I don't believe in the supernatural. I just think just the physical realm is all that exists. What Whatever it is, there's... Some people kind of argue for that intellectual barrier and they go, I just can't get past that. Some people will argue and have barriers in the emotional realm. I think that whether they've been hurt uh, or they've been um, yeah, abused by Christians, pastors, 
the people that claim to know and love Jesus, and yet those are the people that have treated them the worst. Mm, church hurt. Yeah, and that's real. That's a real thing. I I've, was talking to somebody recently who is still wrestling with over, I think it's 15, 20 years of wounds that occurred so long ago by, I don't know if they were well-meaning or not, but they claimed to be Christians and they were wounded. And so there's emotional things. I, I had a, a an acquaintance in college who wrestled with the truth of Christianity because of the posture of one of his parents who had recently passed away, that that parent adamantly denied God in his existence. So for this individual to believe that now the Bible is true and that God exists would have to accept the reality that their parent is now in hell. And they're like, I'm, I'm better off not believing any of that thing because there's this emotional barrier. The third category would be willful barrier. And that's the group, that's the barrier that says, I don't really have an issue with the belief, or the idea that God exists. And I, I don't really have an issue with the fact that Jesus is probably a really good dude and that he, he may have been God. I just don't want to stop my lifestyle. I like the pleasures and the ways that I'm going about. I, it feels good. And I, for some reason, I'm, I like it. And so those people that are convinced it can't get better than what they got and that maybe a belief in Christianity would cause them to have to stop experiencing whatever they're experiencing and that it's somehow not as good and certainly not better than what they're experiencing. And so each of these, it's interesting as you kind of drill into it, it's usually a combination of multiple barriers. But ultimately, it's a pride issue. That's the, that's the core of it in every case. To quote your, your homeboy, C.S. Lewis, he says the, the root of, of every sin is pride. Like that you're not going to engage in some sort of disobedience to God without it first beginning in this idea that you don't need to do it God's way. Your way is better. That's the seed of every of every sin. Which and, is the original sin, right? Right. Yeah. Yep, that you could believing the lie that we could somehow be like God therefore having authority, dominion, whatever that is, which the great lie is that we were created in his image and likeness and had dominion already under his perfect rule and reign. Anyway, so I think, yeah, there's something on display about the heart of the Pharisees here. And um, so on a daily basis, how we can take this and apply it as followers of Christ, what do you think are the are the takeaways on a daily basis that, mm-hmm. that like how do I wrestle with what this means? Do you think maybe there's a way like we were talking the other day about um, sometimes believing that if you haven't audibly heard the voice of God and how we can sometimes subconsciously test God and it's a different posture than what the Pharisees are right. doing here I right. think and so tell me if I'm off but just thinking about I was listening to a John Piper uh Q&A the other day and someone said was asking about audibly hearing the voice of God and if he's ever heard the voice of God like a voice in his head and he said I think that it is it is really easy for us to look past his living word that we have for us that we are so blessed to have and to say that's great but like can you just I need a little bit more can you just tell me you just tell me and i think it's easy for us to get in that place where we start to undermine the authority of his word and then not see it 
as uh, as his voice and we look and we say, I'm just going to turn the globe around. I'm going to put my finger down or I'm going to roll these dice or next thing I look at is going to be a sign. And that's, that's kind of the temptation that I go through is, yeah. okay, that sign just said that. So maybe it's like, it's not a, it's not a God of, of, of mystery and mysticism. And if someone says something a certain way and yeah. God works his Holy spirit through different people and does it in different ways that we can't understand. But uh, something that I, have been wrestling with is is thinking in big decisions should i hear a voice right now some people said this guy said he clearly heard a voice from god what's wrong with me yeah you mentioned the posture and i think there is something to the posture that we recognize here that can be true of us even as believers and that posture is one that they've already predetermined what they think about him regardless of whatever he performs their goal is to test him. And there are times, and I think we're capable of, as much as we say, I, no, I believe, in, I believe in the Bible. I totally believe it. But I would like something in addition. What we're saying without saying it is that this isn't enough. God has not sufficiently spoken to us in this way and so this is insufficient and we need more from him. And that's saying that he somehow has not done this perfectly. And that's a dangerous posture. And it's subconscious. It's not, we're not overtly saying, oh, I don't believe God did good enough. And if we were challenged on it, we'd be like, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. But I think that's the warning that I take away from this is what are times in my walk where I saying it without saying it in my actions or my expectations that this God's spoken word to me through the scriptures isn't enough for me and that I somehow need him to do a little extra for me. That saying what he's done so far is insufficient. And that's a dangerous spot to be in because there's a there's an absence of faith. There's a lack of faith that either I'm not going to be patient and wait in his timing or I'm not going to do the hard work of, of laboring over the text and scriptures and, and seeking him and leaning into him and fasting and, and begging for him to show me his way through his word. It, it, I just want an easy way out. I just, please just, Lord, give me a little extra today. And it's like, he's perfectly revealed himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, everything that's revealed in this Word was also revealed in the person and work of Christ. And it says that as we look at Christ, we see the Father. And so He has revealed Himself, and it's sufficient. So that's how I wrestle with this, and I'm trying to even now take inventory what are the ways in which I'd like a little extra nudge or a little show? Give, give me a sign that I'm going on the right track. Even in the process of, of uh, you know, making a big decision, you do that where you're like, oh, look at all these things that kind of coincidentally fell into place. This must be a sign that this is what God wants us to do. And I just, I'm not at a place right now where I'm going to say that is or isn't a sign. I'm just saying, be careful with how much you depend on or need or demand God to do extra things to show you the way. 
seek him. And he's told us that you can seek him through prayer and the scriptures. So that's where we're supposed to go. That's where that should be our first reaction. Yeah. There's a danger in, in specific dominate denominations that, uh, teach that you have to have a particular, uh, physical representation or sign of of the holy spirit or of your faith or god has to work in certain ways at a certain volume and you have to say a certain thing when you're baptized or you have to speak in a certain way uh and then there's the other side of people that say god doesn't do any of that anymore Mm -hmm. he's not working supernaturally anymore that's all dead it's it's i think that there's there could be potentially dangers in both yeah where where one side can say that uh, you're, you're making too big of a deal out of um, these physical representations of faith because of your lack of faith in and of itself, like you said. And then there's the people who are saying that that it's really dangerous also to say that God's not going to work that way. Yeah, and that and, he doesn't. You're putting him in a box. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on. So, yeah, we've created a great scenario of problems that we're probably not going to answer or solve right now. Uh, but other than the warning that's in this text is, what's your posture towards the Lord? And when you are seeking Him, in their seeking of a sign, it was a demonstration of their motives and their heart. And so as you seek the Lord, your posture, what does that reveal about your heart and and how you what you assume about the Lord, what you believe about the Lord. Yeah, it's a good it's a good reality check just to kind of check your own spirit on that. Parker, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me. I'm just let me get one more just image. <coughs> okay, good snapshot mental. This is it. Good. This is Parker 1.0. Oh, I'm excited. Next time I see you. Well, no, I'll see you before. Shout out to uh, all the folks out on the podcast. I actually get to perform the wedding. So I'm not marrying Parker, which is kind of a phrase. I'm performing the ceremony. Mm. And I get to uh, to be there front and center, literally in the middle between the two of you guys. Should I yell yee-yee when you announce us? <gasps> I know that that would make you excited. Oh, that would be, oh, that's a quandary right there. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Well, brother, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. For those who are tuning in, I'm sure we've stirred up more than we've settled down uh, in terms of our conversation. But if you have questions, please email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for Parker, uh, or if you have comments about should he yell yee his wedding ceremony upon the announcement of he and his bride and their covenant vows witnessed by all, uh, leave a comment. Uh, I'm sure he reads those and hangs on your every word. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? Leave a comment. Uh, Like, share, subscribe. Do all the stuff you're supposed to do with social media, with this podcast, because all that does is it helps more people find us. And I'd love to get more and more people wrestling with, exposed to the word, and reading it for themselves. And so, yeah, my encouragement to everybody, go take and read the word of God.